Those comments coming after several angles of video showing what officials say is a teenager lunging at someone with a knife before the officer opens fire, preventing an attack. The rule of law is a principle that no one is exempt from the law, even those in positions of power. When an officer involves shooting or use of force incident occurs, the way in which the investigation is conducted is critically important to both law enforcement and the communities we serve. It can be the difference between communities having faith in an investigation that is free of bias and a community losing trust in the system. On this episode of The Blue View, we will talk to Mark Kohler. Mark is currently serving as a special agent supervisor for the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, the investigative arm of the Ohio Attorney General's Office. In this capacity, he oversees the quality control aspects of use of force investigations conducted by the Bureau's investigators statewide, including policy development, training, task force operations, and outreach initiatives. I'm Patrick Hughes, National President of Fraternal Order Police, and this is The Blue View. Well, Mark, welcome to The Blue View. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, so my name is Mark Kohler, and um, I currently serve as the special agent in charge for the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation for the uh, Technical Investigations Division, uh, just recently promoted into that position. I've been in law enforcement for 29 years, and uh, I got started in patrol, uh, worked my way into an undercover uh, narcotics position, then ultimately into a detective bureau. And I came over to the uh, state of Ohio, the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, which is the investigative branch of the Ohio Attorney General's office. About 14 years ago, I uh, started off in the crime scene unit, worked my way into the special investigations unit, then as a supervisor uh, for the last nine years, and then uh, just very recently uh, promoted to the special agent in uh, charge position. Uh, what we do at, at the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, we are an agency that is there to assist local law enforcement upon their request. And uh, we assist them with anything that they either have a conflict of interest with, such as a police-involved shooting or a use of force incident where they request a outside independent investigation, or anything that requires a special training experience or equipment that maybe some smaller agencies may not have, uh, but that the state is able to provide to them. You know, Mark, uh, you made a presentation, uh, uh, the Attorney General's office made a, a presentation at the ICP conference last year and talked about a multi-agency approach in investigating use of force incidents, uh, police-involved shootings. You know, multi-agency uh, task force are, are not uh, unique to our profession. We use them in a number of different ways. Uh, what what makes this one this model successful seems to be gaining traction. So historically, police officers' uh, use of force incidents tended to be investigated by their own agencies. Uh, up until just the the last few years or so. Uh, when the proliferation of video uh, has really thrust front and center uh, the daily work that police officers do uh, into the, the living rooms of, of every citizen across the country. And uh, there has been, as a result of that, a demand for outside independent investigations. And that has led to a drastic increase in the number of requests that our agency has had to come in to do uh, these these fair, unbiased, impartial investigations of police use of force incidents. And that very quickly uh, began overwhelming our, our resources. And uh, we had the idea, and it actually was brought to us by a chief of police association, uh, to conduct a, a task force where we would utilize uh, investigators from local law enforcement agencies, train them to uh, BCI's protocols, 
and then help you utilize them to help us with these investigations to essentially serve as a force multiplier uh, for us to be able to do these investigations, to turn them around uh, as quickly as possible. Uh, that's in the best interest of every party involved uh, that we have a resolution as quickly as we possibly can. And by doing this as a, under the umbrella of, of a state agency, we're able to ensure that there are consistent protocols that are in place throughout the entire state uh, versus individual task forces uh, that might be able to produce their own policies and procedures and handle things slightly differently in one area of the state versus another task force in another area of the state. Uh, we really thought there was a tremendous benefit to having some standardization to that and ensuring uh, that these investigations are being conducted in accordance with what we be believe to be uh, best practices. Well, Mark, you know, investigations of this type uh, have certain challenges. Uh, a lot of times they're met with skepticism uh, for the public's need to know. At the same time, there's a lot of conf confidential information that's, uh, that also is derived from this, too. How, how do you, as a task force, uh, how do you balance these two, uh, the, the public's need to, to be informed at the same time, protect the integrity of investigation? Uh, good question. So, uh, first of all, as it relates to the integrity of, of the investigation, uh, one of the things that we are going to be implementing uh, with, with this task force approach, and just to be clear, we are not up and running with, with the task force yet. Um, we believe we are very close to, uh, to being operational, um, but it, this is still a concept at this point. And if it is successful in our trial run, uh, then that's something that we hope to maybe be able to expand around the state if, if there is a desire for that. Uh, but one of the, those aspects is uh, having a conflict assessment for each of those investigators uh, that would be involved in an investigation. We want to ensure uh, that they're not investigating a member of their own agency or, or, or a friend from a neighboring agency or anything along those lines. Um, so on each and every uh, uh, investigation that we would be conducting, every member of that task force that would be participating in that particular investigation would be screened for any potential conflicts of interest uh, to ensure that we have documentation to show uh, that we have addressed that issue and that all of those investigators are conflict-free uh, to participate in that investigation. As it relates to the, to the release of information uh, to the public, that it's a it's a very difficult question, um, a very difficult issue, and it is something that we really need to try to balance. Um, so what we have tried to do in, in Ohio is first and foremost, we want to be upfront and transparent with the public and, and the law enforcement agencies as well uh, with the process. The process is something that we can be very transparent about and we can talk about. And uh, to that end, we've actually uh, authored a book uh, that talks about the best practices and the methodology that we would uh, undergo to conduct such an investigation. So we can be very transparent about uh, the methodology. Uh, as it relates to the specific information of, a, of an incident, uh, we have to be very careful. If we release information prematurely uh, without all of the context of, of the particular encounter, um, people can draw incorrect uh, conclusions uh, without having all of the available information. Um, but also there are certainly instances where uh, it can taint the memory of some of the witnesses or the participants of the incident, such as if they see uh, video footage that maybe um, is different than what they recall in, in their particular mind. And we have had um, some rare instances where people who did not even actually witness the incident might come forward after watching the video and purport that they were a witness to the incident and they try to slant 
uh, their their observations one way or another to, to fit their particular agenda. Um, so what we are trying to do now here, again, in Ohio, is we, we want to establish uh trust by showing that we will be transparent with the investigation, uh, but we're going to have to wait until near the conclusion or at the conclusion of the investigation. And then we will open up our investigative files. Uh, we are now publicly posting the results of our investigations after uh, the, the case is either adjudicated or the officer is, is cleared of, of any criminal wrongdoing. Uh, then we are able to, to share uh, the results of those investigations. So it's not a matter of if we will be transparent because we absolutely will. It's more of a matter of when it is appropriate to, to release that information to maintain the integrity of, of our investigation. You know, Mark, you, you refer to, to the word context, uh, and it's so very important in when, when you're dealing with evidence, especially video and recording uh, recordings of, of incidents, and, and what's the perception of what one, one sees and, and what actually occurs when it's taken within context. And in all of the challenges that, uh, that, that, I guess, trying to tell a full story in a, in a, in a few seconds is, you know, a, a very difficult uh, task when there's a, a whole lot of uh, information on, on both sides of this that is relevant. Uh, so that context definitely uh, creates an issue. But but I, I recently uh, attended a couple of training classes that you did uh, with uh, first with the union leaders across the country and then with uh, with attorneys who represent law enforcement officers talking about video evidence. Uh, and, and it found it very fascinating uh, to, to look at, at really an in-depth look at the difference between video recordings and how they're recorded uh, in 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 you know, the context of cell phones and in other devices and what really uh, the perception of what you're seeing and you think you're seeing in video uh, of when it's when it's actually viewed in, in a proper format and a proper equipment, what it truly tells. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges that uh, that cell phone video, which is so readily available to everyone today, uh, the, the, the complexities between what's what it's recording and what is actually occurring within a video? Sure. So th there are lots of different issues as it relates to, to video evidence, uh, whether it's a cell phone video or even if it's a body cam or a dash cam video from a, from a law enforcement source. Um, first and foremost, we have to, to recognize uh, that video evidence is not the perspective of the officer or the officers that are involved in an incident. And um, you know, under the landmark Supreme Court decision by which an officer's use of force is judged, um, we have to quote unquote, judge the actions of, of that officer from their perspective, what they observed, how they interpreted uh, what was occurring and whether or not their decisions and their actions relative to that um, were reasonable or not. Um, video evidence does not show that perspective of the officer. There are lots of, uh, it, you know, it's, it's different perspective as far as where it is located. Um, it's different in, in so much that it's two-dimensional versus the officer is able to see in 3D and many other factors that, that are involved in that. Uh, so we have to keep that in mind. And just because a video uh, happens to capture something does not necessarily mean that the officer observed that same thing. Again, they may have been directing their attention or focusing elsewhere. Uh, they may have had tunnel vision. They may have been focusing on something completely different with, within that, that, that scene. So that, that's the first caveat that I'd like to give with, with video evidence. The second thing is that, uh, people sometimes, uh, tend to believe that the video is what it is. 
um, and that there, there is no problem with, with the video evidence, that video evidence um, is exactly what occurred in a, a particular incident. And we all need to understand that there are limitations to, to video evidence. And many times um, it does not accurately portray what was really occurring with, within a scene. Sometimes it may, uh, but there are certainly times uh, where it can give a very inaccurate uh, view of, of what actually occurred. Some of this might have to do with the way that the video um, was, was collected uh, from, from the source, from the witness, uh, from, from whatever uh, uh, DVR that it may have been on. Um, and, and other times it can have to do with, with problems relative to video compression. So there are lots of different problems that can occur. And I brought just a, a few uh, quick examples uh, to show and try to explain uh, some of these concepts. And, and first we have uh, just, just a, a few seconds uh, of a cell phone video uh, of an officer-involved shooting incident that was captured by a, a witness. And here on, on the, uh, the left-hand side, uh, we have the, the video as it was uh, first given to one of the investigators by, by the witness. And that video was either text or, or emailed uh, to the investigator. And something that is important for us to understand is that if somebody is going to be texting or emailing a video, whether it be a doorbell camera, a cell phone video, or, or so forth, most likely that video is going to be compressed. And that can result in, in a loss of detail, a loss of resolution, and a, a much lower quality video. Uh, versus if we actually plug in that device uh, into a, a uh, a laptop or a device uh, that can forensically download that video, uh, then potentially we're able to get a much higher quality uh, video of that, that same thing that transpired, uh, but a much higher resolution, much higher quality uh, video as depicted on the, uh, the right-hand side here. They're chasing them, I don't know. When a, a, uh, a video is collected, particularly from a, a DVR, uh, many DVRs have their own proprietary uh, video file format. And as law enforcement, we may not have the ability all of the time to have that proprietary player uh, in order to view that video, particularly if we're wanting to, to view uh, very quickly what may have transpired in, in a particular incident. So we're tempted to potentially export that video out uh, to a common file format that we can all see on our normal uh, work computers, or even do something like a screen capture of, of a particular video. And when we do things like that, we are introducing the likelihood uh, that we are going to have some errors relative to, to that compression. And we'll put up here on the screen a, another incident. Um, th this actually occurred in, in Canada. 
and uh, I was given permission to, to show this video from uh, a software manufacturer that, that we utilize at, at Ohio BCI called Input Ace. And uh, in the first video, um, it shows two officers in a confrontation uh, with, with an individual and the individual uh, ends up dying. And in the video, it appears as though the officers are slamming the subject to, to the ground uh, very forcefully. And this ultimately results in one of the officers being criminally charged as a result of this, this individual's death. Um, and during his defense, uh, he hired a, a forensic audio video analyst who utilized the Input Ace software. And they, they took a look at not the exported version or the screenshotted version of, of what had transpired that the prosecution uh, was using, uh, but they wanted to take a look at the actual uh, recording device, the DVR that captured this, this video footage. And when they did, um, what they were able to see is actually something quite different than what the, the uh, exported or screen captured version showed uh, as depicted here in this second video. And in, in this video, we can see that the officers actually uh, very slowly lower the individual to the ground. And uh, based on that, it uh, tended to uh, acquit the, the officer. So they're uh, slowly being uh, Place to, to the ground and the officer was then acquitted. Uh, so what you can run into again with, with these exports um, or screen captures is that we can drop frames. And when, a, when frames are dropped out of that video, it can give a very different perception of the amount of force uh, that transpired. And so it's for these reasons and many, many other reasons, there's many other problems or errors and limitations that we can have with video evidence that is an imperative that people that are doing these types of investigations have some level of awareness or training so that they at least understand that they probably don't understand video evidence unless they are specifically trained and qualified to do so. And that before we rush to judgment based on a particular video's view of what transpired, we need to have a qualified individual uh, with specialized software conduct an analysis of, of that video, again, before we, we rush to any kind of judgment. Yeah, the rule of best evidence, uh, you know, taking, a, taking a proper look at uh, that all of the factors involved. Uh, you know, the goal is to tell a true story, exactly what happened in the way it happened. Um, appreciate uh, appreciate that explanation. I think it uh, it's enlightening to to think. Uh, we we often think if it's in video that, that it is what it is, and and the reality is is it is in fact if it's viewed in its proper context and and uh, with the proper equipment to do so. You know, Mark, you you, you mentioned the uh, the book, the guide to uh, officer involved shootings and in, in, in use of force incidents. Uh, it's a good book. Uh, great. Uh, what, what has been the uh, response that you've gotten back from it? Um, it's it's been been very good, um, both from from law enforcement and from uh, the media and and citizens alike. Um, it is something that uh, the Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost uh, afforded me the opportunity to to put together, uh, along with other uh, experts in in the field from the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation. And uh, again, it's it's uh, putting down in in writing uh, what we believe to be uh, the best practices for officer-involved shooting investigations. Uh, keeping in mind, though, that it is a living document. That as our understandings of of things change or as laws change, um, it's something that we would need to uh, periodically update. Uh, but it is something that uh, it, it is available to, to everyone, uh, to the public, to law enforcement, uh, completely free of charge. 
Um, if you want to uh, download the, the free ebook version of that, um, it is available on the website ohioattorneygeneral.gov forward slash best practices. And uh, just fill in uh, a, a few uh, form fields there and you can download that ebook version uh, completely for free. Yeah, great. You know, it, it, especially in today's uh, scrutiny, the last uh, couple of years and the challenges that law enforcement have, have faced, uh, that that uh, that credibility uh, in, in approaching with, with such transparency will, will ultimately is what we need in order to be able to to kill the skepticism of, of you know, the, the, the barriers that have been created between our profession and, and the general public. So education is key. And uh, your approach in transparency is uh, is one that's uh, that that's it's very helpful in this uh, task. Um, so with that, uh, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to give some final thoughts. Uh, and if anyone wants to learn more about this multi-agency task force approach for, by the Ohio Attorney General's Office, uh, uh, how would they go about uh, getting in touch with you or, or uh, your agency? Uh, so they can certainly uh, get in contact with, with me. Uh, my contact information is on the Ohio Attorney General's uh, uh, website. Uh, certainly, I would encourage everyone to take a look at, at the, uh, the ebook. Um, and I'm uh, you know, more than happy to, to try to assist uh, any agency that might want to consider putting something like this together. Certainly, there are, there are some, ch- some challenges uh, to, to be worked through in creating something uh, like this. Um, it, it's a it's a time consuming, arduous uh, uh, process, but it's well worth it uh, in the end because ultimately, um, what all law enforcement officers do each and every day, uh, we require the, the public's faith and support. Um, that's who we derive our authority from is is from the public, and they obviously have a vested interest then in ensuring that if we are using force, particularly deadly force, that we're doing so in in a constitutional manner. And um, the way that we were able to to uh, to demonstrate that that is being done or not done, uh, but hopefully done on on uh, most occasions is by doing a, a competent, professional, uh, fair, unbiased uh, criminal investigation of of those, uh, which is what we we are trying to do. All right. Well, Mark, thank you for your years of service and uh, in law enforcement and uh, the great work that you do in building uh, building confidence in, in our profession. Uh, and thank you for joining us on the Blue View. And to our viewers, thank you for tuning into the Blue View. Where we talk about the issues that are, are vitally important to the men and women across this country who suit up and show up in communities across this country every single day, making a difference in the lives of these those they serve. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of The Blue View, hosted by Patrick Yost, National President of the Fraternal Order of Police. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else to get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. See you next time.